This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Upsize Your Leadership, the podcast about enhancing your impact wherever you lead, whatever your role. As always, it's great to have you join us today. My name is Mike Armour, the Managing Principal of Strategic Leadership Development International, which I founded in Dallas 23 years ago. We are a comprehensive leadership development firm offering a full array of coaching, training, team building, and business consulting solutions. You can learn more about me and our extensive services at leaderperfect.com. And if you're seeking a speaker for your next special event, check out my professional speaking website at michaelarmor.com. In my work as a business consultant and C-suite leadership coach, I read dozens of business plans each year. Somewhere in these documents, I usually find a summary of the company's values. Certain words appear repeatedly in these lists of values. None occurs more often than innovation. In my actual work with companies and nonprofits, however, I routinely come across examples of what is called innovation, but which is not truly innovation at all. It's simply a superb example of inventiveness or ingenuity. Even top executives can be confused on this point. Just this past week, in conversation with a CFO whom I had just met, I mentioned that one of my most popular keynotes at present is entitled Agility, Speed, Innovation. In describing the speech, I happen to mention that what passes as innovation is often mere ingenuity. He immediately asked, what's the difference? It was apparent that until that very moment, he had never given consideration to possible distinctions between the two. So today, I want to amplify on the conversation which I had with him. Over the next few minutes, we're going to get to the heart of what constitutes true innovation. In a world which places such high value on innovation, having clarity on this issue is sure to upsize your leadership. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Recently, I came across an extensive study of what American corporations identify as their core values. The researchers reviewed thousands of corporate self-descriptions as found in mission statements, business plans, and promotional materials. The study found that 80% of these companies included innovation in their list of values. It was mentioned more frequently than any other value, including integrity and respect, which appeared in 70% of the value statements. It's no surprise, therefore, that in my dialogue with senior executive teams, the term innovation pops up routinely in the conversation. Yet when I casually ask how the group defines innovation, the response usually begins with thinking outside the box. Now, I don't want to disappoint anyone, but thinking is not innovation. True, innovation always begins with a new thought process, a new perspective on how things could be done. But so long as we are thinking about something new, we are not innovating. I'm listening carefully, therefore, to what the executive team adds next to flesh out their description of innovation. And what I frequently hear underscores the fact that while they apparently value innovation, they don't fully understand what it entails. In particular, they often confuse ingenuity with innovation. Like my friend the CFO last week, they have never thought through the issue of what constitutes genuine innovation. Their confusion is understandable, because both ingenuity and innovation involve novel ways of doing things. We derive the word innovation indeed from the Latin word novus, which means new. An innovation is something inherently and altogether new. Nothing quite like it has existed or been done before. Not only that, true innovation marks such sweeping change that we must revamp existing infrastructure in large measure to accommodate it. Ingenuity, on the other hand, can merely be a clever new way to perform a familiar function or task. Even if others take up this new method so that it becomes widely practiced, it forces no change to current infrastructure. To cite an example, when I was a youngster, almost all home phones were black and rather bulky. They had a rotary dial centered on the front of the phone's somewhat heavy base. Then, in the late 1960s, the so-called Princess phone appeared. Lightweight and available in all sorts of colors, and the dial was no longer on the base, but on the handpiece. The Princess phone was an immediate marketing sensation. Yet the changes which led to the enthusiastic acceptance of the Princess phone were examples of ingenuity more than innovation. The phone required no retooling of telecommunication networks. It still used rotary dial technology, at least early on. It still depended on an extension cord to connect to the phone system, and it still needed an external supply of low-voltage electricity in order to function. Fast forward four decades to the advent of the cell phone. Gone was the requirement for landlines. 
cell towers replaced them. Cell phones operated anywhere without needing an external source of power. And for dialing, a tiny touchscreen replaced the bulky rotary dials and push-button array of the past. The cell phone broke with conventions right and left. It mandated wholesale change in the manufacture of telecommunications equipment, in regulations governing utilities, in the very underpinnings of phone service itself. In a word, the cell phone was disruptive. Genuine innovation always is. Thus, the invention of dry breakfast cereals was an innovation. Replacing cornflakes with little O's and Cheerios was an act of marketing ingenuity. The development of television stations in the late 1940s was an innovation. Expanding the broadcast frequency spectrum to include UHF in the 1980s was the fruit of ingenuity. Cable TV was an innovation. Offering on-demand programming was ingenuity. Let me give you a more personal example from my own upbringing. My father never finished high school, never read above a junior high level, but he excelled at building houses. From about age 12, I worked alongside him on weekends, during holiday breaks, and in the summer. I tell people that I grew up with a hammer in one hand, a carpenter's square in the other, and a pocket full of nails instead of money. In my years of working with Dad, I was often amazed at the clever ideas which he could generate to overcome challenging problems, and these ideas often had to do with inventive solutions to people problems. One of the more memorable moments along these lines came while we were preparing to pour the foundation for a new house. We had dug the footings for the foundation and were putting steel reinforcement in place for the concrete pour, rebar as it is called. When we finished, the perimeter of the foundation was lined with steel rods as thick as your thumb, sticking up slightly above ground level. About that time, a little girl who lived in the neighborhood showed up on the job site. She had been there before. She was about four years old, and she loved to play in the piles of dirt around the construction site. But today, she decided that it would be fun to jump back and forth over the trenches which we had dug for the footings. She had done that before, too, except now the trenches had rebar jutting up out of them. Now, my dad was one tough hombre, but the one thing he could not bear was to see a child hurt. To say that it tore him up was an understatement. As a young man, he had helped pull mangled bodies out of one of the deadliest schoolhouse calamities in history. He never got over the emotional scars. It's not surprising, therefore, that in his mind's eye, he could picture this little girl losing her footing and impaling herself on one of those rebar rods. So he shooed her off the site, told her in no uncertain terms to go home and not come back. Two hours later, however, she was on site again, jumping back and forth over the trenches. He ran her off a second time, this time with more extreme threats. It, it did no good. Uh, this time she came back in 30 minutes. Somehow he needed to get rid of her for good without becoming physical. 
At that point, he went to a toolbox in his pickup and pulled out a monstrous screwdriver. I have no idea where he had bought this thing. I've never seen another one like it. The shaft was fully a foot and a half long, maybe longer. He marched over to the young lady, screwdriver in hand, got down on one knee, and glared right into her eyes. Little girl, he said, holding the screwdriver up between them, if you ever come back here again, I'm going to get this screwdriver and unscrew your belly button and your legs will fall off. Her, her eyes got as big as saucers. She gasped and turned and ran and we never saw her again. But I must admit that I've wondered whether to this day she has recurring nightmares of losing her legs because a tall, lanky man unscrewed her belly button. So Dad was clever, and I saw that ingenuity on display dozens of times as we built or remodeled homes. But for all of his inventiveness, he was not innovative. He never stepped outside of conventional methods in building a house. On the other hand, he seemed to enjoy working with innovations which others had developed. Early in his career, he built a home for an eccentric architect who drew plans in a totally unconventional manner. His blueprints had none of the traditional measurements to show the length of walls, the locations of doors, or the heights of ceilings. The first page of his blueprints directed you to a survey point on the lot and instructed you to drive a two-before stake into the ground and to assure that it was perpendicular. The top of the stake was to be exactly 18 inches above a set grade level. Next, you were to drive a 16-penny nail into the geometric center of the top of the stake. Then, every critical corner or elevation on the blueprint was shown as being at a certain distance and angle from that nail. <laughs> You're probably not surprised to learn that the architect himself was a bit cantankerous with an overweening sense of arrogance. He held that any contractor who was not smart enough to build from his blueprints was not sharp enough to construct one of his homes. Other contractors had taken one look at the blueprints for the house and decided not to bid the job. But Dad was up to the challenge. He thought he was clever enough to wire around the architect's idiosyncrasies, and because almost no one else submitted a bid, he landed a lucrative contract. Now, the architect's methodology appeared to be innovative, although I've since learned that he was not the first to use this unorthodox approach. His drawings broke completely with prevailing conventions and, theoretically, forced builders to throw out their traditional notions of how to build a house. I say theoretically because he never knew what Dad did to circumvent his baffling set of drawings. After he landed the contract, Dad sat at the dining table for a couple of evenings, creating a more conventional set of plans, which translated the architect's somewhat bizarre approach into a set of schematics which Dad's crews could easily follow. Of course, when the architect came to the job site, Dad always broke out the original plans and kept the true working plans conveniently out of sight. At first glance, it might seem that the architect was an innovator, 
Remember, a moment ago, I said that his methodology appeared to be an innovation. I would argue, however, that he fell short of true innovation. Let me explain. In keeping with my observations to this point, let me offer my definition of both ingenuity and innovation. I define ingenuity as the ability to make clever and inventive enhancements which overcome some notable obstacle, inconvenience, or limitation. Returning to our telephone analogy, replacing the loud, annoying ringer bell with a softer electronic tone was a clever enhancement. Later, making the electronic tone adjustable was a further enhancement. Improvements such as these are examples of ingenuity. As for innovation, I define it as the robust implementation of a novel idea which yields such wholesale benefit that people willingly abandon conventionality to take advantage of it. In effect, ingenuity adds benefit within the game Innovation reconfigures the game itself. For innovation to occur, five criteria must be satisfied. First, the innovator must have a novel idea which steps outside of conventional thinking. Second, the idea must offer a realistic promise of a highly desirable breakthrough. Third, the idea must be translated into a robust, implementation. Fourth, the implementation must provide some decisive value or benefit not previously available or not previously accessible. Fifth, this value or benefit must have such compelling appeal that it leads to broad-scale acceptance which disrupts the status quo. Now, let's test the architect's methodology against our definition of innovation. His idea was certainly novel, and it could be described as a breakthrough concept. But it had no realistic promise of robust implementation. The value or benefit which it provided was not apparent. For one thing, having to shoot an angle to determine the starting and ending point of every wall, door, or window was time-consuming and labor-intensive. No contractor could absorb this added labor cost and price homes competitively. What the architect had produced was novelty for the sake of novelty. Since building a house with his method had no prospect of broad-scale adoption, it failed to meet the test of robust implementation. It therefore did not qualify as innovation. I would even argue that it did not even meet the test of ingenuity. His method did not address a pressing problem, and contractors who looked at his blueprints hardly saw them as an improvement on the status quo. As I said, his technique was nothing more than novelty for the sake of novelty. Yes, his method was imaginative, but it had no place in the cluster of imaginative techniques which we bring to problem-solving. This cluster stretches along a continuum flowing from simple inventiveness, to improvisation, to continuous improvement, to innovation. Within this cluster, continuous improvement and innovation are processes. They unfold over an extended period of time, 
and take shape around specific processes, steps, and procedures. Ingenuity and improvisation, on the other hand, are short-term, quick fixes to an immediate problem, such as a four-year-old girl jumping dangerously over rebar rods. The fix spawned by ingenuity may produce a one-time solution never to be repeated again, unlike innovation, which results in long-term change. Even if the ingenious fix is taken up widely so that it becomes a new way of doing things, it will not have the disruptive impact of innovation. In fact, acts of ingenuity are so spontaneous and sudden that our language has never developed a verb to describe that moment when it occurs. Innovation is the end product of innovating. Improvement is the end product of improving. And improvisation is the end product of improvising. But we have no verb whose end product is ingenuity. Ingenuity is merely a reactive response to an immediate problem. Let me conclude then by encouraging you to use the word innovation with discretion. Not everything which is called innovation deserves the name. We English-speaking people are notorious for destroying the cloud of once-powerful words by trivializing them. Look at a word like awe. When we began describing sports cars as awesome, we trivialized awe to the point that we no longer have a means of describing something which truly deserves the title. Let's not do that with innovation. When every act of ingenuity can be called innovation, the concept of innovation itself loses all meaning, and being an innovator reduces to little more than being highly creative. The problems we face as a human race are so mind-boggling that we need to encourage genuine innovation on every turn. But when any inventiveness is innovation, innovation itself means nothing. Next week, I plan to continue this theme by exploring what it takes to create an innovative climate and culture within an organization. And we will examine why innovation struggles to gain a foothold in many corporate and organizational settings. You can download a PDF transcript of today's program from the podcast index at upsizeyourleadership.com slash episodes. Almost 90 episodes are found on that page. And let me add one comment. I don't say often enough how much I appreciate you and my other listeners. Your recommendation of this podcast to friends, family, and colleagues is the primary way in which its listenership grows. Would you continue to recommend it in your circle of influence, please? Your friends and associates can find Upsize Your Leadership on all of the major podcast platforms. And before I wrap up today, I want to give you an early alert of a very big and special announcement coming within a month. Right now, there's an embargo on the announcement, so I can't say more, but I am free to say that in September, I will be taking one of the biggest steps of my career. I'm eager to share it with you soon. In the meantime, have a great week, and especially a great Labor Day weekend. Until next time, find some way every day to upsize 
your leadership. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.